Hello, I'm BZ Douglas, and welcome to the BZ Listening Podcast. Every Monday on this show, I feature a grassroots musician that I've had the fortune to cross paths with during my journey as a musician. I've also started to branch out with the show a little bit, having some guests on to talk about activism and politics. Uh, a couple of months ago, I actually managed to land an interview with Robert Evans. He's a journalist that covers right-wing extremists and hosts two podcasts I highly recommend. Uh, one is called It Could Happen Here, and the other one is Behind the Bastards. Uh, I'd been a reader of his work for, for years, and one evening I just decided to reach out to him on Twitter and ask for an interview, and much to my surprise, he accepted so anyway, I bring that up because that success is partially why I felt emboldened enough to reach out to my guest today, the mayor of my little city of University Heights, Michael Dillon Brennan. And I say partially because I already knew from how responsive the mayor is to constituents on Facebook that I'd at least get an answer, and I was pretty optimistic it would be yes, and we're here, so it was. I will say this is by far one of the most difficult interviews I've ever had to edit for this show, which is a direct result of the fact that it was one of the easiest interviews I've ever conducted with ostensibly a total stranger. I did my best to whittle down our five-hour conversation, but there was no way this wasn't going to be broken up into a, a two-parter. So today in part one... I chat with the mayor about his mother's work with the National Organization for Women, his early political experience in college, his work as a trial lawyer, how Trump's election inspired him to run for office, and how he came to decide on running for mayor. Uh, we also talk about the lawn incident. You'll find out. Uh, we do go off into a tangent or two about some national issues, but most of that will be in part two, which is coming out next Thursday. And if you are new to the show, please go back and check out some of the incredible musicians I've had the privilege to interview. I took a break off of editing for Memorial Day weekend and instead released a mixtape episode. And that one features one song by each of the musicians I've had from the last dozen episodes or so. It's a pretty good way to survey who's been on the show, and they are all as much in need of new fans as your ears are in need of their music. I promise you will love it. Anyway, uh, I just want to say hello to any of my neighbors who are coming in to check out the show. Maybe I'll see you around our uh, city Facebook group or pages. Not next door, because I hate next door. Um, but anyone who's new here, if you like the show, we can always use a good rating on iTunes, a like on the Facebook page, a subscribe. Maybe you swing by bzdug.com, the website, poke around, enjoy it, whatever. Any little bit helps. We're a small show. I say we, it's me and my wife, Deb, who you'll also hear on this podcast. Uh, she's always my studio audience think that is about it as always thank you so much for listening and now on with the show with the musicians it's become kind of boilerplate mm -hmm. i do have specifics for some musicians but there's there's sort of always like you know when you start playing music and going through the, i started the playing music in the music fourth career. grade that piano <laughs> lessons and then i picked up the saxophone all right so yeah, yeah we should have you on for a music college Monday. and <laughs> Did you have piano lessons? I had piano lessons. And did you like them? 
No. I mean, I, I, I liked that I had them. And, and when I would go to, to lessons, uh, the piano teacher had a, had a piano that was, if it wasn't A440, it was a lot closer than, to A440 than, than, than what our piano at home was. Our piano was just tuned to itself. <laughs> so nothing sounded right at home. And the piano was in the living room. My sister would want to watch TV, and I'd be trying to practice piano, and there'd be a lot of yelling, and then finally I'd give up. Or, Of course, she was taking piano lessons, too, so I did the same thing. I want to watch TV. Why are you playing piano? I'm sitting here playing Atari. Why are you playing piano? I'm hearing things blow up. I'm trying to play piano. <laughs> so... Yeah, and then and then we moved to Youngstown, and the piano did not make the trip. It was uh, just too much, too heavy to move to, and you know there was talk about getting a piano once we got there, and it never actually happened. So that was the end of the piano lessons. Um, I did have an alto saxophone. I played alto uh, most of junior high and high school, and tenor here and there, soprano here and there, Barry even here and there. Uh, got to college, auditioned, was at University of Toledo for music school. Uh, hated it. <laughs> it wasn't really, I don't know if it was the program or just me being uh, lacking contentment over what I was doing with music. I thought I'd be a music education major perhaps, and but I hadn't really gone about it the right way and was just taking these music classes without a whole lot of direction. I auditioned for the jazz band, got in, uh, at some point I decided I didn't really want to be a music major anymore. So I called my dad and said, well, you're paying for all this college. I don't know if I'm not going to do music, maybe I should just come home and figure things out. And my dad wasn't, I mean, he wouldn't hear of it. He said, you know, you're not going to figure things out coming home to Jefferson, Ohio. You, you know, what are you going to do? Work at McDonald's and Ashtabula or the gas station or, or, or whatever. And, and you're going to figure things out there. No, stay at college, take classes that interest you and, uh, and, f and you'll figure it out. Well, I started taking political science and philosophy classes and, uh, and I figured out I wanted to go to Bowling Green, which <laughs> maybe wasn't necessarily what he had in mind, but, but at the same time, it cost about the same and, and it was just down the road and, and uh, I showed up at BG and went into the admissions office and they have this credit arrangement with MCO, Medical College of Ohio, and, and all my classes transferred, all my credits transferred. Uh, they waived my application fee and next thing you know, I was registered for classes at Bowling Green as a sophomore. And, and there was really nothing to it. It was that painless. <laughs> yeah, we're in Youngstown, by the way. We're oh, the south side. I'm from Liberty. Okay. I went to high school in Liberty. Ah, okay. So you're uh, on the north side. Yeah. So your mom, uh, what was, in, your mom had a bit of a political career, uh, or in the, um, what was the story behind yeah. that? And that was, was that when you mm -hmm. first started to be paying attention to politics? Because I was trying to think, when I was reading about, you know, your, uh, when you first became aware of politics and like mm -hmm. your mom was in, in, you know, you'll go on sure. about that. But it's funny when I thought back to the only political conversation I ever remember having with my parents was, you know, you hear on the news all the time, you know blah, 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 Republican, blah, 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 Democrat. Mm -hmm. And one day I just asked my parents, I'm like, what? What's a Republican and a Democrat? And the extent of mm -hmm. the political education I got was either my mom or my dad said, oh, well, Democrats want to make people pay more taxes and Republicans don't, so we're Republicans. Hmm. There was no discussion of what the point of taxes were or mm -hmm. <laughs> what kind of taxes the Republicans were trying to cut. But sure. it wasn't until I was in my 20s that it was really like 9-11 happened. And then I suddenly mm -hmm. realized, like, I don't know anything about what's going on in the world. And that's when I first started paying attention. But it was purely like the shock of that. But I had almost just I had com I was completely oblivious to what politics were in America until my 20s. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I could see how that could happen. I mean, really, I, I, I can. And I, I've known lots of people like that or grew up in households like that or, or uh, you know, or had very, um, you know, basic reasons for why they were Democrats or Republicans or why they were nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's not unfamiliar. That is not my experience, however. Um, my, my mother, uh, I mean, my, my, both my mom and my dad had, had a fair amount of uh, awareness, I think, uh, growing up or when, as I was growing up and my, my mom was raised Catholic and went to Catholic school and a uh, scholarship student to Catholic high school. And she um, was very involved in the church for much of her, much of my early youth. But right around the time I was in the, maybe the fourth grade or so, uh, third or fourth grade, uh, my mom went from being the president of the Altar Rosary Society, this support group in the Catholic Church, to 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 starting a now chapter in Ashtabula County. Now, uh, National Organization for Women. So, um, you know, they they were very much about the ERA, about equal rights, about equal pay, about about abortion rights, and and a lot of that didn't jive very well with being Catholic. Um, I mean, there were, there were, my mom's best friend uh, from the church happened to be president of the Right to Life chapter in town, and here she is, uh, the president now of of the of the uh, local chapter of now, which was there to uh, uh, basically argue the opposite. <laughs> so, so um, part of why. Part part of what moved my mom to Youngstown was uh, following advocacy, and 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 there was a uh, uh, suggestion that my mom would be helpful in starting a new now chapter in Mahoning County, uh, and uh, Mahoning County Youngstown had lost theirs, so my mom moved to Youngstown, got a job there. Uh, and and then moved to to basically restart that down there. She'd been successful in Ashtabula, so now she was moving up, if you will, to Youngstown. What was her? If I mm-hmm. sorry, if I if I missed this specific, what was her entry point into politics and activism? That what sort of like set her off on that path? Well, I think she was always a bit of a free thinker and and and, and a nonconformist. Uh, famously, she though she was at the top of her class uh, in high school, she was barred from National Honor Society because she wore makeup to school. Things like that. Scandalous. Yeah, I know. I know the nuns just did not approve. So your mom was organizing for now, mm-hmm. and um, how yes. much were you aware of what she was doing at the time? Well, I was aware of it a lot in the sense that they were was always. She, I mean, I, I meant mm-hmm. to say, was she bringing you into it? Well, I always felt a little funny being a part of it as a as a kid because I, I had kind of picked up early on that 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 as a child you didn't necessarily want to be dragged into something that you didn't necessarily have the agency to reject or accept, and I tried to as much as I could as a kid, and I'm looking back on this with my adult eyes. <laughs> uh, I, I would try to get it, understand it, try to understand the issues best I could and be supportive generally of what my mom was doing, but I didn't necessarily want to be a part of it all the time. 
I was reading in your background mm-hmm. that you got to uh, Bowling Green mm-hmm. and was yes. the first uh, political issue that you were involved in was with um, how the, the districts were, were set up in the city? Yeah, yeah, that, that's basically right. Uh, I, I was interested in uh, campus politics a little bit. I ended up running for student government. But, but when it came to issues off campus, uh, we'd had this... Uh, Bowling Green had, had for many years had this policy of containment generally, which was that if you had these parties on this street, as long as you stayed there, the, the police didn't interfere and, and the kids would just do what they do. And, you know, if somebody, you know, does a keg stand or sets a chair on fire, you know, whatever, as long as it happens there and not on the streets where the, you know, the residents live, you know, then it was all OK. <laughs> Until one day, uh, uh, police chief Galen Ash, I'll never forget his name. That's such a name for a police chief. Galen Ash. Uh, got a wild hair to to uh, in, to raid the parties, and they arrested over 100 students that night for public intoxication, underage consumption, uh, just a whole litany of things, and and uh, it, it it caught our attention. Now, I, I never went to those parties. It was not really my college experience to go to a bunch of of off campus parties, or uh, I didn't drink much as an undergrad. It wasn't really my thing, but. But but the idea of people's civil rights being violated was my thing, and the idea that that you would just arrest a bunch of people for having a good time was my thing, and and it caught our attention. You know, how can the city do this, and are there things we can do? And that's when it came to our attention somehow that we had this ward system in Bowling Green, where you you had a seven member city council, four of them were wards seats, three were at large. And they had packed. They hadn't. They had packed the campus and most of the student housing into one ward. So forty-seven percent of the population was in Ward One. So they get all, half of the population gets one council seat. Yes, yes. And they all happen to be the students. And they hadn't redistricted since nineteen seventy. And at this point, it's 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 in the, the early nineties. Mm-hmm. So we were saying you should redistrict the city. The 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 ward should be of equal size. And that means that um, the Ward 1 seat would, would be, uh, well, would be, uh, the, basically there, there would be students that would be majorities practically in two wards. And, of course, the permanent residents, the townies, they, they hated the idea. They were like, well, you know, you don't really live here. It's like, well, you know, we live here for now. <laughs> so, uh, and we're, a lot of us are registered to vote here. So yeah, yeah. We're paying taxes. Here. Yeah. Sales yeah. taxes. Something. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah. And, and there was federal aid that Bowling Green got because of, of the, uh, of the population we had that didn't make a lot of money because they were students. So there was all kinds of public transportation money the city was getting. You could, you basically, you could, you could get a flat fee cab ride anywhere <laughs> um, because of the federal aid that the city was getting. And that's, that's how they chose to use it. And, and very few students actually use that. Uh, so, so we, we ended up filing uh, lawsuits as students so o- over the voting rights. And at the same time, we also started registering students to vote and looked for students to run for city government office. We ran a student for mayor. We ran students for city council. We got a student on city council in the ward one seat because, heck, it was, it, you know, all the students were packed in that ward anyway, so of course we better win that seat, and we yeah. did. And that put a student there to actually talk about our issues. And when we ran a student for mayor, that student ran for as an independent. He ended up getting 27% of the vote. And that wasn't enough to win, but it was enough to change the outcome of the election. The the former president of council, who was a Democrat, uh, was very, I'll say it, she was very anti-student, anti-university, and anti-everything we were doing. And and um, 
And she probably would have if these issues hadn't come up, uh, just gotten Democratic votes, as Democrats are prone to do. You tend to vote your party. And uh, the Republican candidate was this grandfatherly guy who who basically said, hey, you know, these kids are all right. I think we can all work together. And, and a lot of a lot of the students liked him. They, they they there were students who said, well, I don't know if having a student as mayor is such a good idea, but this guy seems to understand us. That guy won. And between having a student on council and a mayor who was pro-student enough to, to listen to student concerns and, and, and heed them at least some of the time, uh, changed the tenor of uh, city government in that city. So we did have an impact. We did have an overall effect on, on what we were doing. And, and that, did kind of, that did turn me on to going to law school. And I thought, you know, if I go to law school, I'll better be able to, to, to advocate for these kinds of causes. I'll better be able to, um, to, to, to make the kind of difference. Because when you're a lawyer, you can actually file the suits. Now, the reality is, is by the time I was done taking out student loans and, and so on, I, I wasn't joining a public interest firm. I, I needed to make some money. <laughs> so I ended up practicing law, doing what you needed to do to try to make a buck. So you went into private practice for law. Um, what was uh, your specialty? Where was, what was your area of focus? Well, my area of focus overall was litigation. Uh, I, I liked trial work. I liked being in court. And uh, it was civil litigation primarily. The subject matter would change from time to time over the years. Uh, I was in a practice for a while where, where we did uh, insurance defense. And I was in a practice where we did uh, insurance bad faith defense. And then I was in a practice where we were doing plaintiff side medical malpractice and, and, and serious significant torts and wrongful death cases. And, uh, you, you know, did some good and important work there. I mean, the, the insurance defense work is necessary work. It's important work. If you're an insured, you, you, you certainly want to have a, a counsel appointed um, through your insurance policy. But, but the life-changing stuff, the stuff where you're really on the side of the angels is really the plaintiff's work. When you're uh, advocating for somebody who's injured in some way, whether it's, you know, they're, they're injured in an accident, they're injured because uh, uh, of a product that caused an injury, they're injured because uh, somebody took advantage of them in a consumer setting, any of those things. Uh, and, and I eventually found my way to employment law, and again, plaintiff's side, because uh, I became really in tune with the idea of defending people who were victims of discrimination, uh, women who had been... Um, victims of sexual harassment or who had been passed over for promotions and, and, and been subject to, to, to clear discriminatory conduct, things that we could prove. And there's, there's so many subtle things that can't easily be proven and aren't really actionable, which is really too bad. But the ones that are, that are actionable that you are able to establish, you know, the, the, you know, that, that's some important work right there. And, and you, you want the, you want trial lawyers to be there to, to, um, uh, well, all to bring those claims and, and, and to bring an end to that kind of of nonsense in the workplace. Uh, I, th I think one of the most important cases, you know, for me, for me, one of the most important cases I handled once I was on my own was one involving a woman who had worked for uh, a, a major, uh, well, just say a major cellular phone company. Won't say which one, 
But she she had been on the commercial business side. You know, they'd had they had clients who were sports teams, major manufacturing entities, uh, where where she would be the sales rep that goes into the corporate headquarters and and outfits the phones for everybody who works for that company. And she ended up with a boss who didn't like the idea of women in the workplace would make comments about how women should be like his mother. They should stay at home and take care of the kids. And somehow, and we, and this, this was about five years ago. Yeah. Not that long ago at all. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, uh, she, yeah, maybe more like eight years ago now, but, but the point is, is, is not that long ago, not that long ago. And we were able to document how all the women on the sales team, he was shuffling around the accounts. So the best accounts were going to the men, the struggling accounts were going to the women. And then once women had the struggling accounts, he would put them on performance improvement plans saying, you're not making your sales. You're not making your numbers. And if you don't make your numbers, we're going to fire you. And then the performance improvement plan would run its course. And at the end of the 90 days or whatever the period was, he'd fire them and say they, they weren't performing. And once they did it to my client, she said, I'll see you in court. And we did. We saw them in court, and they they ended up paying a six-figure settlement to my client, uh, as they should have, because that was nonsense that was going on. She tried to alert people within the company. They weren't doing anything about it. We had we had we had them dead to rights. We had all the paperwork. We were in federal court. We were at the case management conference. The judge took one look at it and said, "You got to sell this case right now." And said that to the defendants. Said that to the defendants they're high powered attorneys against just me and they're uh, and and all of the the might and capital and will that was behind this huge corporation that could have run her over if the courts hadn't been there to stop it i didn't know that was a judge's prerogative to say you need to settle i thought that was mm-hmm. something that would would come from the other side like okay we see that you've got a pretty strong case and we want to settle and then that's on you to decide that well they would have defended it and taken every dollar that was needed to defend it from their client and you know they could have outspent us and I think the judge sensed that and you know that that's that's why these federal judicial appointments are so important and and I'm, and I'm kind of glad that we're there you know why I'm, I'm able to say that because you know the worst thing the most lasting thing that's gonna happen when when this Trump administration is over the most lasting damage is going to be to the American judiciary because there are some wholly unqualified people who have been appointed to the federal bench, people who have never even tried a case, people who are just simply ideologues who are there to promote a certain agenda. Yeah, That's, that's going to be the lasting legacy of Trump is that we have all these appointees. Uh, and, and there was a glut of seats to be filled because the Republicans had blocked so many seats uh, in the last years uh, from o- Obama getting to um, fill those appointments. And, you know, the most obvious one is the Supreme Court seat. But there were a lot of lower uh, seats in, in, in the circuits and, and in the, um, the district courts that, that were also vacant. It's something that the Republicans figured out a long time ago. And, and, and that they're a lot smarter about than, than, than Democrats are, which is that it really does come down to the judiciary. And that, I mean, that's why you see here in Ohio a heartbeat bill passed, because even though we have seen it uh, go 0 and 4 in, in, uh, in attempts uh, at other states at other points, they know that as they get more and more conservative appointees on the bench, sooner or later, it'll stick. 
sooner or later that challenge will make it. That they, they they will have the right people there to hear the case to go ahead and an overturn Roe. And that that is um, well, I hate to think of what the country will look like after that. And and I and I don't even think that they've really thought through what it will look like in the sense of if you really if you really throw abortion rights back to the states now you've made every state election about abortion and is that really is that a good thing and 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 i would say objectively it isn't um and and you don't really want the patchwork of states that allow uh, abortion versus states that don't but but you don't want there. There are so many issues that 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 are important in state elections besides that. And that's not to take anything away from abortion rights. It's a huge issue. It's a very important issue. It's so important. It can push every other issue aside, which is exactly my point. You know, you talk about all the things that a state needs to do to to uh, be successful, whether it's in, uh, you know, whether it's in economic development or or uh, or, you know, advancing housing or, or, or whatever. And, and instead, we're, we're going to talk about this one issue because now it's on the forefront of whether or not um, uh, of, of, of whether or not women have this fundamental right to control their own body. That's always about every election, but guns and abortion. Mm-hmm. There's like, there's nothing else. There's yeah. nothing else happening. It's just, but, but guns and abortion though. And, and what do you think there? Yeah. And there's this very strange symmetry between the two issues that, that isn't necessarily readily apparent, but, but you always hear the gun rights advocates talk about how, well, if you outlaw guns, then, then, then you're just making criminals out of people who, who are otherwise law-abiding citizens. Well, they the never apply that, that argument to abortion. They don't. They don't. I mean, because if you outlaw abortion, women will still have abortions. It's just that the doctors that perform them and the women that have them will be criminalized. Will be criminals now. You're yeah. now criminalizing this act, which, which is otherwise legal. You know, now they're no longer law-abiding either. So... Mm-hmm. You know, so, so which is one about it when they're they, people think they're mm-hmm. saving babies and they're mm-hmm. they're you don't change what people are going to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything. It just makes it more dangerous. I, I think one of the things I find also disheartening and disappointing through all this is if if you believe truly that life begins at conception, which I think is, you know, life is a continuous cycle. But, but if, but, but if I grant you that, then, and if you think that, then, then fine, you know, you're welcome to not have an abortion yourself ever. Uh, you, you can decide, well, this is what happened. I'm pregnant now. I'm going to change my life around, even though I didn't plan this and I'm going to have this baby. Well, you know, that's, then, then that's great. You know, that was your, that was your choice. That was the thing that was right for you. And, and I would never tell you you were wrong for doing that, but I would also never want to tell somebody that they were wrong for saying this isn't, you know, the right time for me. And, and maybe, you know, if you're going to be philosophical and say, well, then that person never really got the chance to exist, you know, maybe some other person got a chance to exist after that because of the choice you made earlier. And, you know, we want every child to be wanted. We, we, we do. And, and when we talk about, um, well, you know, why don't they just, you know, take it to term and, and give it up for adoption? It, it, you know, why do we need to tell other people how to live their lives on something so personal? The, the pro-choice side isn't making anybody have an abortion, whereas the pro-life side is barring people from having them. And I think there is a difference. And, and the difference is, 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 is obviously one side is telling people how they must live and the other side is saying live as you choose. 
we've just gone down a whole issue rabbit hole and i have all sorts of issues on here this is great <laughs> i actually i don't think i brought up abortion because i well you, you know, brought up my mother and you I know had, national organization for women and, yeah. and you know something that she did you know back in the 80s so what led you to decide to run for mayor and was running for office something that had been something you'd been considering prior to that okay well in in 2016 i sat up all night and watched the election returns and and was on one hand i was horrified but on the other hand i i it also confirmed what i really suspected i i thought trump would win and, and I didn't like talking about that. I didn't want to tell people that. I didn't want it to be some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where, oh, yeah, you're, you say you're a Democrat. You say you voted for Hillary Clinton. But, but, but really, you're just like some Bernie bro who, who really was trying to undermine her because you were really pulling for Trump. I was never pulling for Trump, but I thought, I thought he was going to pull it off, and he did. Right about, like I want to say, 10 o'clock on, on election night, when things were uh, you you just started seeing like the pundits being like what like this state was going and that right Right when it started taking that turn Mm -hmm. when you started seeing things going downhill dominic my oldest comes stomping down the stairs crying yeah and saying i had a terrible nightmare that has never happened had never happened before. It, I don't know if it's happened since. He would, he'll do, he had done things where I can't get to sleep because I'm having, I'm thinking about something scary I saw or whatever. He'd never woken up out of a dead sleep crying, having a nightmare. Like, no, and never, and never since. It's very, it's, it was crazy. It was a really bizarre thing that that happened. We truly, like, like, there was a disturbance in the that. force. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was in the air. I don't, I don't mm. know. Yeah, no, it was a it was a difficult night, you know, for for a lot of people, and 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 I think, you know, I I'm a middle aged white male, right, and I, I'm straight, and and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not disadvantaged in any significant way, so I could I could be selfish and say, well, I know I'm going to be fine. <laughs> But the thing is, is people who I care about, people, people whose causes I care about, I knew they weren't going to be fine. I knew that they were in a lot of trouble. And I knew that they were going to be in a lot of trouble in, in, in the kind of country with the kind of policies that, that Trump was, was going to be leading. And that's proven to be so. And, and that is, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's not the country we should want to live in. And, and it's, you know, we're coarser as a people under his leadership. We've, we have a tone in this country right now where that comes from the top where suddenly it's okay to, to, to act out a certain way to, to, to say certain things. I mean, the, it's, it's almost, uh, you hear this, you know, it's like, Oh, finally I can say what I actually think. And then some horrible, hateful thing comes out of somebody. Now in a way it's good to be able to have those people identify themselves for, for, you know, but, but what we really need in leadership are people that uh, make us aspire to be better people, not people who have us wallow in the worst of what we are. And that's what we're doing right now is we are wallowing. We are wallowing in, 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 in the basest of, of things that we, we think and feel. I mean, we're just grunting through this and, and, and there's, there's nothing about Donald Trump that, I, I, I would challenge any supporter of Donald Trump to say, how does he make you a better person? How does he inspire you to be better than who you've been? 
And I don't think there's an answer to that. I'd be curious to hear it. So 2016, uh, this connects to you running it for does. office. It does. It does. In 2016, I, I sat up all night and I thought about what what I could be doing differently. I thought about my own life. I thought about a lot of things, and that was one of them. And and you know, I, I thought about how you know at one time I, I was really politically engaged, but but I had let life and and and, and career and 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 trying to make ends meet. Uh, all, and, and that's not to say I didn't do some good work as an attorney, not at all, but, but, but that there was something more I should be doing. And, and there were some things I was doing in the community. I was on the board of Future Heights. I, I, I was uh, involved in a couple other nonprofits. It, was, it wasn't like I wasn't doing something to serve the overall community, but I felt like it wasn't enough. And I felt like I needed to find something more to counteract what we were seeing nationally. And I began thinking about running for office. I wasn't sure what form that would take. And, and I wasn't sure if it was that I would run or if I would just help somebody else run. But I knew I needed to do something more than what I was doing. And that here I was, you know, 20 years uh, an attorney, and this is what the country looked like. And, you know, sh shouldn't I be doing something more to change it? So, uh, you know, Barack Obama in his uh, farewell address talked about if you if you're disappointed in your elected officials, uh, grab a clipboard, lace up your shoes, get some signatures and run for office yourself. And, and I felt like he was talking right to me. I said, yes, that's exactly what I should be doing. I should be grabbing a clipboard and, and doing something and, and getting out there and talking to people. And what made you zero in on the office of the mayor as your entry point? <laughs> well, um, that's kind of funny. Um, my, that wasn't my original thought. It, my original thought was that uh, I would run for city council. I had looked at our city council. I'd been to city council meetings. I had served on the citizens committee for the park. Uh, I, I knew just about everybody on council. I knew the mayor. Uh, I'd, I'd had kind of a falling out with the mayor over some other issues, which I can get into, but, <laughs> and, and which were brought up eventually in the campaign, which were hilarious when they, when they did, but, but, um, because I knew they would come sooner or later. It was about the one time my grass got cut for me. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I got that. We got that warning note, but we, we cut it. Yeah. Well, in my case, we got the warning note and I'd been out of town. I was at an, an Ohio State Bar Association convention. I come home on a Friday, and, and, and it's raining, and there's a note on the door, and the ink is run, and I don't know how long it's been there, but it's raining. And I thought, well, nobody cuts their grass in the rain, so I'm going to wait till it dries up. So the weekend goes by. It rains all weekend. It rains on Monday. Tuesday, it stops raining. So I leave work early, come home, and find that my grass has been cut for me. And they charge you like three hundred dollars, or, or what, yeah, whatever ridiculous. it is, whatever or, it is. I don't yeah. know if it's that much, but it was. I, I heard mm -hmm. it was an exorbitant amount if they come out and do that. Well, right, because the, they make you pay for the the contractor they use plus like a, a fine. And 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 in principle, I agree with that. But but in the practical application here, I thought, you know, what is this? You, you know, uh, you know, how is it that 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 this is the one thing the city can do efficiently? 
you know, I contact the mayor, I CC everybody on city council and, 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 you know, luckily I didn't use any four letter words to describe how, even though that's how I felt because I, you know, as, you know, as it would come someday, those emails would be out and, and, and said, you know, this is ridiculous. I came home and, and I found this and I don't suspect it was one of my neighbors doing me a favor. I figure it was the city. And will you please confirm that? And, 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 and where do you get off doing that? And, and uh, Marinfeld sent me photographs of what was supposed to be the grass that was too high. And, you know, it, it, eight inches is where it becomes, uh, where it violates ordinance. Now, uh, I pointed out in the photographs where, where in my backyard I had uh, some cinder blocks where I had a fire pit. And a cinder block is eight inches tall. And I said, none of the grass is taller than the cinder blocks. So this, so, you know, anybody can take notice of the fact that the dimensions of a cinder block are eight inches by, you know, whatever. And, and this is some good lawyer stuff coming yes, out. <laughs> yes. And, and, and your own photographs don't show the grass higher than eight inches because they're not higher than the cinder block. Therefore, these photographs do not show it show a shaggy lawn. It shows a lawn that needs a cut, but not one that violates ordinance. And she's like, well, this is what we have. And, and this is what we're charging you. And that's that. And uh, the, the, the September council meeting where they go to assess everybody um, <laughs> uh, and, and put it on the property tax bill if you don't pay, because I didn't pay. I, I, I was be damned before I'd pay that after what happened. And, and I showed up and I said, well, I'm here to talk about how you're going to consider on emergency all of these assessments that you're going to put on people's property tax bill. I've gone over, I've talked about the, the grass. I've talked about how it wasn't actually taller than eight inches and your own photographs show that. And if you're going to put on my bill, then you're going to leave me no choice but to sue the city. And if you do that, if you make me do that, then I will also offer my services for free to any resident who also has a similar claim. And I will join all those cases together and we'll sue the city. And then they went into executive session to talk about it. <laughs> so we all had to sit downstairs while they went into executive session to talk about my litigation threats. So in many ways, uh, uh, you know, I was the unlikely person to then run for office in the city after having been that, that cranky resident who didn't cr cut his grass. I knew sooner or later would come up in the campaign and it did. And, and people thought it was small when it was brought up. And, uh, you know, I, you know, diffused it as I did the, 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 um, political debate uh, at John Carroll when it came up, my response is there as far as, as far as what I said. So uh, I feel as if, well, you know, I, I, I regret that I had to, you know, issue that threat like that, but that is the kind of thing that people end up having to do when, when government is simply unresponsive. But it sounds like the, under, under that administration, there was a more antagonistic relationship with the citizens. There was, there was, and and it was emblematic of, it was like that in a lot of places. I mean, it, you you have Orthodox. Uh, we have a big Orthodox community here in our city, and um, uh, you know, if you're familiar with them at all, you know that they walk to temple, and many times they walk in the street, and and we had previously an administration that would admonish them. And, 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 and in writing. So it's not, it, you know, they would send letters out to the temples, letters out into the community. They would say such things as, do you know how bad people would feel if they hit you? Right. Which, which, now not to mention, you know, you being the one that's hit by the car. Wow. And the thing is, 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 is that, 
you know, these are people just exercising their cultural right to execute, to, to engage in their religious beliefs as they do. And if that means walking to temple and not driving a vehicle to do it, and, and you know, while we do clear the sidewalks in this city, that it doesn't always happen perfectly with when the Sabbath is. So Shabbos comes, and you're going to walk to temple, and if it means walking in the street, then that's what you're going to do. And, you know, a responsive government works with that, works around that, you know, make sure that the sidewalks are plowed or at least the streets are salted so that if they're going to walk in the street, that, that it's safe or relatively safe. And, um, you know, so I've endeavored to do that. And, you know, I've heard from people who live on the east end of the city who, who walk a lot, you know, how much, how much better they think it is, you know, that, that, we, we, that we plow more or that we salt more. And really, it isn't that we're doing that much more, except that we're conscientious of when Shabbos is, and we make sure that things are so when we know that there's going to be more pedestrians. And it's noticed and it's appreciated. And why shouldn't we do that? So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we do. But, but instead of taking an antagonistic view, uh, take Sukkot, for instance. Uh, you, you know, during Sukkot, you have um, the, the observant are, are building huts, you know, often in their driveway, somewhere in their yard, where, where they contemplate the, the, the nomadic period uh, after leaving Egypt before coming to the Promised Land. And, and what it was like for their ancestors to, 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 to live that way. So you'll, you'll engage in time in the hut. And, and you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Jewish, so, so in my, you know, semi-amused, you know, looking from, you know, the outside looking in, I think about how I would build a fort as a kid, and I'd like to spend time in the fort. And, and there was nothing religious about that. There was no, you know, significance to that. But, but I can appreciate what they're saying, and, and I can see how it would be not only observant, but also kind of fun. And I've gone to, to, to um, homes where, where they've built a, a sukkah and, and spent time with them just engaging in their day-to-day -day activities, but they're, they're outside in this temporary structure. Well, what this administration does not do, and which used to be done, was... I don't send letters telling people you better have that thing down in 30 days because nobody is going to leave it up and park their snowblower in it. That's not what this is for. This isn't going to substitute as a garden shed. This is a sincere religious observation. There is, if somebody still has one up well after the time period, there's probably something going on. Maybe that person is sick or, or needs some assistance of some sort. They're not putting it up as some illegal shed. That's not what that's about. So, you know, having a little bit of sensitivity and sensibility about what people are doing and being a good neighbor about it. And, and that, that's, that's, that's a large part of, of what we're doing at City Hall. And I mentioned those two examples because it was so obvious in the Orthodox community that there was this, um, there, there was this sense of either not understanding or, or not willing to work with, you know, them and, 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 their, and, and their, their observation of their faith. And I have found them to be just, you know, wonderful to work with. That they they've been so welcoming and and so friendly and and um, you know, I, I've made a lot of good friends in the Orthodox community. They they a lot of great people here. So you had your issue with the mayor, or you know, or with mm -hmm. the city. You felt like you know you had this relationship. Yeah. Then um, did you? kind of survey the city and find that like there was this dissatisfaction and that made you start to zero, like well, see that there the city would be better served by someone and this was a good place for you to to step up and and, and try and in 
jump into the political arena? That would be a good way to for it to have happened, but that's not really what happened. Uh, for me, it was more a matter of of I was trying to be civic minded, and I I was under the impression that a seat would be opening up on city council, and the reason I thought that was because I. I had, from my own following of council and city government, I, I knew there was a lot of dissatisfaction on council with the then mayor. And I assumed that one of them would want to run for mayor against her. And depending on who it was, there could be an, an, an open council seat. Now, my calculation was was that Vice Mayor uh, Susan Party, I thought Sue Party was going to run for mayor. And in my trying to figure out how I could be a part of the solution, part of making, you know, um, university, it's a better place to live and, 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 and making my contribution to the community that, that, uh, I sought out Sue party. I asked her out for coffee and we chit chatted and, and she knew me from the, uh, from various interactions uh, from the park committee. I had applied for a city council seat that was vacant at one point. Uh, a lot of people had applied for that seat. So I'd, I had been interviewed for it uh, a few months prior. And and I said to Sue, well, Sue, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Uh, you know, we got a, elections coming up, got a mayoral election coming up. And I believe that you're probably going to run for mayor against Mayor Infeld. And I think that's great. I think you'd be a great mayor. And um, and if you run for mayor, that means you won't be running for council. Your council seat will be up. That means there'll be a vacancy. And I'd love to run for that seat. So what I'm suggesting here is, is if you're running for mayor, uh, you would have my support. And, and I hope in turn that I would have your support in my run for your council seat. What do you think? And she said, well, Michael, that sounds great. But the problem here is, is that I'm not running for mayor. And I said, oh. And she said, why don't you run for mayor? And I said, I, I can't run for mayor. I've never even been on city council. Who's going to vote for me for mayor? And she said, oh, you know, but you've been involved in the community and people know you and people like you. And, and I, think, I think you could do it. I think you could do it. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, she gave me something to think about, but I didn't really give it serious consideration at that point. But it was in my head now. <laughs> and I thought, well, I could do that. I thought it was, I thought it took a lot of nerve to just go out into the community and say, yeah, I've never run for office before, but I'm going to run for the top job. What That's do you what think? I was curious about is what, uh, <laughs> what, you know, that, that gets out there a lot, like that sort of like, get out there, run for office and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, let's take our, let's take our government back. We need more, more people. But I always wonder like, what, what are the real prerequisites to that? I feel like a lot of people mm -hmm. think about that. Like, oh, I can't run for uh, like yeah, office because I'm not a lawyer, much sure. less or yeah, I or even if you're not a lawyer, like oh, I, mm -hmm. I I need to, like what do you feel like are the the right prerequisites for someone getting into office, or are there none other than you're civically engaged? Well, I you know civically engaged is a lot of it. You know, being positive and being you know oriented and being empathetic. You know, I th I think those are things that are important, and 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 having you know, being open to good ideas and having some good ideas of your own, but not to the exclusion of other good ideas. I think that's important. And, and I think it's, it's important that, that, that you're there to build community and, 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 and create progress and, and move things forward. And, and I thought, well, you know, I, I support, you know, all that, you know, I didn't necessarily know how to be a mayor. I, I'd been an attorney for 20 years, but, but that doesn't mean I knew how to run a city. 
you know, I played SimCity a little bit when I was in law school, but that doesn't mean I know how to actually run a city. So what did that process look like learning what you'd be in for for the job, deciding uh, mm -hmm. deciding that you were going to go for the job? Well, you know, one of the good things was I'd served on the board of Future Heights for a couple of years. And in Future Heights, I'd been involved in 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 civic engagement. I'd been involved in 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 programs to promote economic development. Uh I had seen what was, you know, primarily with the Cleveland Heights focus, but, but, but I, I, I'd seen that Future Heights was building itself up to become the CDC for the city of Cleveland Heights and wanted to be able to um, move S Cleveland Heights and University Heights together in a direction to improve the Heights as generally as a place, better place to live, work, and play. And I thought, well, you know, being mayor is basically that, except you have to also run the police department and the fire department and make sure the garbage is picked up. Okay, I think I could do that. But I also thought it's going to take a lot of convincing. You know, I, I needed to make sure that everybody else on city council was good with it. You know, I, I didn't want to run and be the third person running in there. If some other member of council was going to run for mayor, uh, I felt like they had first dibs at it. I... You take a guy like Steve Sims. Steve Sims has been on council. He's he's now in his he's in his final term. He's up this year. Uh, he's term limited out. He cannot run again um, unless he takes time off. Then he could run again, you know, later. But but he can't run this year for city council. And and I knew that Steve was at least playing with the idea, or you know, considering the idea of possibly running for mayor himself this last time around. And and. I liked Steve and, and I thought he had some good ideas and I thought he'd been an effective member of council. And I thought, well, if he wants to run for it, I, I'm not going to stand in his way. So I contacted Steve. I said, Steve, I'm thinking about running for mayor, but maybe you're thinking about it too. Why don't we talk? Because if you want to do it, then I won't, I won't do it too, because I, I don't see this as being a, a three-way race where one of us would win. I feel like there needs to be one opposition candidate and gave him all my ideas said, these are the things I'm working for. And I, and I went through, I talked to Mark Wiseman about it. I talked to Pam Cameron about it. And, and I began working up policy statements. I began working up the things I would do if I was mayor to demonstrate that I was serious and also to have those things ready so that if I did run, I had them ready to go as, you know, blog posts, as press releases, what have you. And I had in my head, oh, if I release these things, well, then the Sun Press will cover them and there'll be, there'll be coverage and people will see what I'm doing and it'll be great. <laughs> it's not really how it works. <laughs> but but um, I had this grand plan that, that I needed to knock on all these doors and I, was, I would need to be in the Memorial Day parade. And, 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 and so I need to declare some, you know, at the absolute latest, you know, in early May so that I can get my parade application in so I can be in the parade as a candidate. And, you know, May came and went. The Memorial Day Parade came and went. And I ended up marching in the Memorial Day Parade with Future Heights, passing out Heights Observers. I, I wasn't a candidate at this point. And, like, Pam Cameron sees me. She goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm just marching with Future Heights like I always do. And and she's like, well, aren't you, like, a candidate or something? I go, well, I, I don't know if I'm anything at this point. You know, I'm still talking with Steve. And, and um, I wanted to give Steve all the time he needed. And eventually he said, well, Michael, if you really want to do it, you should do it. And I said, okay. And that took me, that was right before the 4th of July weekend in 2017. And 
we didn't have primaries. It's a, it's a nonpartisan seat. Uh, everybody just has to file 120 days before the election. And whoever's on the ballot, whoever finishes first, they win. And the filing deadline was August 9th, my birthday. What? Yeah. That's my birthday. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. <laughs> Leo. Yay, Leos. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, so I didn't announce that I was running until July 6th. So I'm already off my plans. I'm already off the calendar. I'd... Now, at this point, did the mayor know you were kind of out there as, as a potential challenger? I think, I think she might have, but I don't think she took me seriously. Yeah. And, and why should she? Because, you know, I was some... She'd crank... been in office for how long at that point? Well, uh, this was her second... She was finishing up her second term, and I was some crank who couldn't mow his grass, you know? So why was she worried about me? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I, you know, that's why, you know, that there's this old saying in politics, there's only two ways to run scared or unopposed. <laughs> and that's why, that's why they say that because I, you know, my challenge shouldn't, you know, why she, I, I why would she take my challenge seriously? I, I had never run for city council. I'd never been on city council. Uh, I had sought an, an appointment to city council, which I was passed over for. Uh, I, you know, had, basically been persona non grata ever since the grass incident. So, so why would she worry about my challenge? Now, did she bring that, the grass thing up in like any opposition speeches about you? Yeah. And she's just like, you're going to vote for this guy. Yeah. Like, it, how's he going to take care of the city when he can't take care of Did you lawn? get any, yeah, did you it, get any, um, <laughs> like, like, uh, I'm trying to think what would be like your bad nickname is a grass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, right. Bad grass, Brennan. Bad lawn, Brennan. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it came up. We we had we had two debates. We had two debates. We had a debate that was in Cleveland Heights, where they had the League of Women Voters had this uh, debate where um, uh, the the candidates for for University Heights mayor, uh, candidates for city council, and University Heights candidates for council in Cleveland Heights, and and the judicial candidates for Cleveland Heights Municipal Court all had debates all in one evening. Uh, so our debate was maybe 20 minutes long, um, and there's video of it, but she did not bring it up there. Um, uh, we, we had our debate. I, I, I think I was a little bit, I was a little excited, but, but I, I got out my, my speaking points. I got, I got, I brought up the things I wanted to bring up. Uh, there was one answer that, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd thought about a little differently because it was something I hadn't really contemplated and I didn't answer. I would have answered it differently if I'd had time to think about it. Hmm. And but it, but it wasn't embarrassing. I, it was an answer I could still stand by. So I, I felt pretty good about that debate. We then had a second debate at John Carroll, uh, sponsored by co-sponsored by the 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 club, the both the Democrat and Republican clubs here in University Heights. And that debate uh, was an hour, maybe an hour and a half long. We covered a lot of things, and we were we were. We were at the last question when she brought it up. She brought up me not one, not not taking care of my lawn and, and having to have my grass cut, but two, that I refused to pay for it. And therefore, you know, I'm I think suggesting I was grifting somehow that that I, I'd cost the taxpayers money because I, I didn't pay for my grass to be cut. Did she like, did she bring up that you were threatening to sue? No, or? she didn't bring up that part. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you know, if you were going to deploy that, that could have been probably deployed a lot more she could have been a lot more nasty about it or cutting about it than she was, but but it was it was kind of a it, it felt like kind of a scold. Uh 
it's hard for me to say now, but from there is here, video. Well, I mean, just from here, it sounds yeah. very grasping. Yeah. To throw that in at the end mm-hmm. is, I mean, where you're supposed to like close your argument and mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. Yeah. And it was, it was something where I didn't have an immediate reply because the way the debate was set up, the next question was up. So, you know, the next question is for Mr. Brennan and they asked about some other thing. And it was something where uh, I had probably two minutes to reply. So I was able to answer the question in about 45 seconds. And I said, since I have some extra time, I'd like to address this last point about my lawn and and talked about how, uh, you know, you know, Mayor, we've been over this before. We, we have all the emails that, that, that go over it. The grass was not the grass was high, but it wasn't illegally high. It was not higher than ordinance requires. And and you know, it rained all weekend and et cetera. But, you know, when I think about all the things that didn't get done in this city, when I think about how it took, you know, twelve, you know, how it took eighteen months to tear down a house on Tullamore that that had been, you know, declared a public nuisance. You know, and when I think about economic development, what you haven't done at University Square. And when I and I brought up all these things, and I said, but my lawn, boy, you're right on that. Whoa. That was one thing that you could do. That's some good that's some good <laughs> debate jujitsu right there. Yeah. And 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 before I was even out of the parking lot, somebody texted me this meme that was already going around on the discussion boards um, where, where they had taken some of my talking points and a picture of me that said, and it talked about economic development, all the things I was going to do. And, and then next to Mayor Infeld, it just, it just said, but his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and could have thrown in something. The, the grass is too damn high. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's her talking point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, and, and, and I thought, well, you know, I knew that this was going to come up. I figured it, it would come up at some point, and here it is, and it wasn't so bad. You know, took the fangs out of it, and, uh, you know, if that's the best you got. That's the worst skeleton you got in your closet, then. What's well, something you know, that you were trying whatever. to hide? You no. Know, like, yeah. you have a point. Like if she Yeah, it's it not up, even the skeleton. You have a point. Yeah. So as long as you get to talk, that mm-hmm. doesn't win her anything. So she probably shouldn't have brought it up. Well. If she knew better. Well, you know. Well, you know. Up losing. So. I, 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 th- I think you can effectively say, well, this is a guy who can't even take care of his own lawn. How is he going to take care of the city? But she didn't even put it quite as crassly as that. And um, yeah. now that I have, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know. So, so, so you're, you can't, you're campaign was uh did you have a big was it uh, mm-hmm. actual did you bring in anyone to guide you through what a campaign process would be like or were you was it more ad hoc and shoe leather and just figuring out as you went uh it was more the latter um uh, the democratic party does have what they call the main street initiative where they have uh kind of workshops where you can go and learn your elevator pitch and and figure out you know what your what your talking points are going to be and 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 how to identify who your voters are uh you know how to look at at a um uh, at a voter registration list and figure out what doors you should knock on and 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 what you should do when you knock on a door and how you should follow up after that so so i went i went to the the workshop to talk about those that talks about those things uh, but but a lot of it was also just based upon work on other campaigns I had done over the years. I had uh, I'd worked well. Let's see. I mean, as a small child, uh, my mom had worked on Dennis Eckert's campaign. He used to be uh, in Manor, and he was in 
Congress. It was a very long time ago now, it seems. But, but, but you know, I, I had, I, you know, I'd, I'd put labels on envelopes as, a, as an eight-year-old, and and then later um, uh, when I was in college, uh, when Eric Fingerhut ran for. Uh, Congress. I got involved in his campaign out in Ashtabula County, and at the time, the there there were three of us working in that campaign office. It was it was uh, it was me, and it was uh, this uh, woman, a young woman. Well, you know, she's just a couple years younger than me, so you know, I guess none of us are that young anymore. But Heather Heather Callahan was her name, and she was somebody I'd known since high school, and she was involved. And the and the person that was running the office was Bob Triazzi, who we all know now, and, and you know has. Uh, you know, ran for mayor of Cleveland, uh, was a city law director, was county law director until recently. And, and Bob's a great guy, you know, and, and that's how I first met Bob Triazzi was, was working back in 1992 in a, in a small campaign office on bridge street in Ashtabula. And there were things I learned about campaigning there. There were things I learned about campaigning when I was at Bowling Green, when we ran a mayor and a student for city council and, you know, things that we did there. So there were things I'd picked up over, over the years. And I'd done lit drop for Bob Triazzi when he ran for mayor. And I'd done some stuff for Tony Cuda when he ran for state rep. And I did some stuff for, for, um, I did election protection for Obama both times and, 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 you know, we took off from work to do those sorts of things. But, you know, I understood, you know, the principles of getting out the vote, identifying your voters. But but I spent a lot of time with the Excel spreadsheet from the Board of Elections of of who the voters are, who actually votes in municipal elections, and then made some calculated guesses about who was in the city when the last time we had a contested mayoral election and and there's enough turnover in a city like University Heights that that a good third of the people who had voted in the last contested mayoral election had either moved away or died and that there were and a whole bunch of new voters you don't even know about I mean right. like us yeah. for example yeah. we weren't in the rolls anywhere we wouldn't have shown up in your data sure and there were a whole lot of people who had never um there were a whole lot of people who had never had the opportunity to vote in a contested mayoral election, so you had no idea whether they would come out to vote in, a, in that election or not. So I had them kind of in one basket. You, you, you def, I definitely focused on the people that always would routinely come out and vote in every municipal election. Of course you want to reach out to them. You want to knock on their door. You want to sh give them your pitch and tell them what, you're, what you stand for and what you're running on and what your issues are and see if, if you uh, share any. Because if you do, well, then you want to keep in touch with them. You, you want to send them a note and say, hey, I, I really liked talking about how we need to do something about, about University Square <laughs> or about how people, you know, need to cut their lawn or whatever it was, you know, and, and, and would, um, uh, you know, keep in touch with people that way. And, and, and then with that, we also were racing against time because I didn't declare until July 6th and the election was in November. And, you know, you want to go door to door every street that you can, but, but I'd already lost half the summer. <laughs> so uh, we made a video. We made a video, two-minute video that kind of went over, you know, the, 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 the issues that I thought were most important. And we put it up on Facebook and we've, you know, I'd been, I'd used Facebook to advertise my law practice. So I, I understood how that worked. And I knew that the Facebook algorithms, you know, preferred a video over just still pictures. And, um, 
you know, I selected a radius of one and a half miles from city hall and, and put it in everybody's feed. And it hit a point where when I was going door to door, people would say, Hey, I saw your video. I just have one question. It's great to put a face to the name. What do you think about this? And, and, and that expedited the door to door stuff. When I first started going door to door, I'd knock on the door and sometimes it'd be there for half an hour. And at the end of it, they'd be like, yeah, I don't think you really have what it takes. And it would be so disheartening, but you, you still, you still just carried on. You still just did what you had to do to, and if somebody said they didn't like what you said, well, then you could just check them off and say, well, maybe I don't knock on that door again, or, or I only do if I really have a lot of extra time at some point. And of course you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some people who will do the door to door and they say, well, you know, I'll knock on every door because, you know, maybe they'll register to vote. No, you got to be more sensible than that. You'll other, I mean, there's, there's 13,000 people that live in this city and there's over 4,000 doors to knock on. Mm-hmm. And if you knock on every door and, and you, you, there's just no time, you can't do that. But the, the other thing we did was we got a lot of volunteers together. We got good at um, preparing door hangers. And on a Sunday, if I got 20 people, we could, we could target every door that we wanted to get a door hanger on and get them all done in one day. That was one of the things I noticed um, is that you had a lot of people supporting you when we were like even when I went out to vote, we went there and I, and the former mayor, she was there, mm-hmm. and she she was there herself like handing me something like out there, but you weren't there, but there was like a barrage of people that were in support of you. Mm-hmm. That after she she walked walked up to me and gave me a flyer and then she walked away and then there was about. I don't know, ten or twelve people that were on, that are out there that are that wanted to talk to me about you. I'm just like mm-hmm. that. That said something about how many people you had that were in support of you. And um, we, I was going there mm-hmm. to vote for you already anyway, because you know we saw your video. Well, that's great. That's great. But but it really is. I mean, the, the these campaigns. It's it, you know, it's really about bringing people together. It's about uh, it, it's it's about you know, generating excitement and, and, and pe- people like the idea of change and they like the idea of, of moving forward and they liked the positive message. You know, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I know you had a lot of critiques uh-huh. about the mayor that I, I well, I, mm-hmm. when I first met you at a, the block party around mm-hmm. the corner, mm-hmm. uh, around Halloween, um, you had some criticism of the mayor. Other people around you, though, were talk- more critical of the mayor. But yeah. in, in like your official literature, and as I was preparing for this interview and kind of going back through your campaign stuff, I didn't see a lot of things where you were hammer- hammering on her. You were putting forth a positive. Like mm-hmm. what we were talking about, we hope the Democrats will be doing in 2020. is right. like, you, you know, everyone knows what's bad about Trump. You can't just talk about that. You have to advance something yeah. positive that people mm-hmm. will vote for. Right. I don't, I don't think there's anybody who's, who, who hasn't made up their mind yet about what they think about how he carries on. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you don't need to spend time saying, well, this guy's coarse. Well, no, we know he's coarse. So, you know, we, we don't have to spend time talking about that. You, and if you have a problem with it, you, you, you've already decided you do. And if you don't have a problem with it, well, I'm not going to try to talk you out of that at this point. Let's talk about the issues. Mm-hmm. So, so even with Mayor Infeld, um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to attack her. And the thing is, is that she hadn't done an awful job. I mean, there's people that will say all kinds of things about her and I didn't buy into that. And I I don't buy into that now. Uh, You know, she, she had her style. She had the things that, that were important to her. She was effective to a point and there were things that, that, that didn't get done. 
and those were and th- those were things that I felt that we needed to focus on more, and I focused on those things. You know, University Heights is and has been a great community for a long time. It wasn't like she had done something terrible to ruin the city. Not at all. It wasn't like that at all. But but there were opportunities that we'd left on the table that weren't being pursued, that weren't things that weren't happening that it seemed like ought to be happening, and and I focused on you know, things that we could do better, things that I I thought needed to be brought out front and center. And, and, and we could talk about those things positively without saying anything bad per se about the, the previous mayor. Um, and I wanted to make sure that, 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 you know, you can, you can win by scorching the earth, but then how, how do you, how do you govern after that? You know, if you, you want, I wanted to be able to be everybody's mayor, including Susan Infeld. I wanted to be her mayor too. And Susan and I have, have, have spoken, you know, since this is all happened, I'm not going to pretend that we're, you know, great friends or anything. It's not like that, but, but we, you know, you know, we got to be able to work together, mm-hmm. you know, as a community and, and, you know, Susan right now works for the County Planning Commission and I'm on the board of the County Planning Commission. So there are occasions where, where we're at the same meetings and she's also on the NOACA board right now and I'm on the NOACA board. So there are occasions where, where we're at the same place. So isn't it better to be able to get along and work on things that you both agree on together? Well, I, of course I think so. And I think she thinks so too. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like any struggling podcast, I can always use a little iTunes love with a five-star rating or swing by the Facebook page, throw a like my way, maybe a couple of comments. And if you really, really like the show, you can kick a couple of bucks my way at patreon.com slash bzdug. That's B-Z-D-U-G. Okay, that's it. End of podcast. Enjoy whatever it is you're about to do next. Thanks. Bye.